If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, as we've just finished singing about, talking about the gospel, singing these truths about how we can have peace and how it can be well with our soul through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But, but part of that for us is uh, this belief that we hold on to and that drives us and encourages us and that when we die, this isn't the end of the story. That Jesus is coming again. Amen? Like, there is a new creation. There is a new heaven. There is a new earth. That, that there is a kingdom that's bigger than what we see in the regular day today. And that we live for that kingdom and we look forward to the day when that kingdom will fully come. It has come in Christ, but it is also coming. And we, as God's people, we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. The now that... Christ has died in our place, He has risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit has come, we, we live as His ambassadors, but there is a day, as we just sang about, when our faith will be made sight. And this morning, we get the privilege of looking at that day. And so, if you've been a part uh, of our summer series, we've taken 10 weeks to walk through the story, and, and the story is just kind of the meta-narrative, it's, it's the overarching narrative of Scripture, and we've been talking about how all of the Bible is one story. It's the story of God. It's the story about the God who's redeeming a people for his own possession, a people for himself. And so we spent several weeks in creation talking about how God made the world and why he made the world and how he's at the center of everything that is good and everything that is holy, and that we were created for him. And, and there are four movements, that second movement, the fall and how centered in the world and it's broken and distorted us and everything around us. And then we spent several weeks talking about redemption, talking about how God, through Jesus Christ, is making a way to save a people for himself. And then last week, we began new creation, and we're going to wrap it up uh, this morning. Uh, and then next week, we will be jumping back into the book of Romans, uh, which we're really, really excited about. But I want to encourage you, especially if you're a parent in this room of uh, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, uh, age child student, um, I hope this summer you've taken the opportunity to utilize the resources in the family discipleship plan to, to help kind of bring your family in this pursuit of Jesus along with you, along with us. And I just want to say, as this series is ending, that pursuit is not ending. Like the, the equipping our families piece is something that's just getting started. And, and even next week, we begin new series within preschool and within elementary and middle school and high school. And all those same resources are there to help you help your children love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want to encourage you to dive in to what is there. This morning, uh, we are in Revelation 21. Last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about how God is making a new people. And this week we're going to be talking about how God is making a new creation. And so if you have your Bible with me, let's just start in verse 1. I'm going to pause and give us a little context. But the very first word of verse 1 in my translation is the word then. Now, if, if you've been around the Bible at all, you know that there is a lot that transpires in the book of Revelation before this word then. Uh, anybody would be honest enough to say that Revelation kind of intimidates you a little bit, stresses you out, maybe a little bit, some anxiety. Okay, so a few of us in the room willing to be honest. If you've not been in the Bible before, Revelation is kind of a difficult book. Uh, there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of prophecy, there's a lot of 
apocalyptic literature, beast and dragon and angels and, and, and bowls and all, all kinds of just kind of crazy things that are happening. And so when we start in verse 21, verse 1, and it says, then, it's pointing us back to everything that has happened. And so, for the sake of time, I can't walk us through the book of Revelation and explain it to you. But if you want to have a detailed explanation, just see Pastor Mike after the end of the service. He'd be happy to answer any question you have about Revelation. He's figured it all out. And so, he would love to do that for you. Uh, but when we come to the book of Revelation, it's important for us to understand the context. And the context is that, that this book is a book that's written to churches. It's a book written to seven churches. And you can read the first three chapters of John and you see that. This is God's message, Jesus' message to seven churches. And the reason why Jesus gave this message to the seven churches was not to explain everything that was going to happen to them at the end times. The reason that he gives this letter to the seven churches is so that they will endure to the end. So that they will remain faithful. So they will walk as holy saints. So that they will be overcomers. And those words are all throughout the book of Revelation. And so just kind of as, this is for free, but when you come into any book of the Bible, especially Revelation, let me just give you kind of three interpretation tools that I think will really help you unpack the truths of Scripture. And the first one is that read the book in light of its context. So everything that happens from chapter 4 to chapter 21 in the book of Revelation is in light of those seven churches. And it's in light of God's desire that these churches would remain faithful to the end. And I just want to speak to our church this morning, Tri-Cities Baptist Church. Jesus wants us to remain faithful to the end. The things that are written in this book are to help us remain faithful until the end, to uh, finish the race well, to take the gospel out well, to endure and trust God until the end. And so the context of the book helps us understand the things that are happening in the book. The second thing is it's important to read any book of Scripture, but especially the book of Revelation, it's important to read in light of the author. And so the author of the book of Revelation is the Apostle John. Uh, John, James, son of Zebedee, he's one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And so when you read through the book of Revelation, one of the things that you begin to see is when you read it in light of the Apostle John, you see a lot of familiar language. And even as we walk through this passage this morning, you're going to see a lot of allusions back to the Gospel of John. So one of the ways we understand the book of Revelation is through the lens of the writer himself. And the other interpretation tool that I just want to help you, give you this morning, is whenever you're reading a book, we want to read it in light of the whole story. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to take 10 weeks to do what we've done is we wanted to be able to give a little bit of a framework and a backdrop to how the whole story fits together. And when you read through the book of Revelation, especially through chapter 21, what you begin to see is that a lot of what is said in the book of Revelation are actually quotes from the Old Testament. So a lot of this imagery, this, these marks on people's foreheads, these pictures of the end of times, these are quotations from Daniel, these are quotations from Isaiah, these are quotations from Ezekiel. And so the way to understand the book is to understand the New Testament in light of what the Old Testament has already told us. And so there's usually one or two responses that kind of come into the book of Revelation. Either one, we kind of run from it, we shy away from it. And I'll be honest, for a long time I kind of fell into that camp. Like I just would rather kind of ignore it because I'm not really sure what's going on there and don't want to mess it up. 
Or the other tendencies to run to the book of Revelation kind of use it as this, this little codex that's going to tell us every end time event. And that's not why the book exists. The book exists to help us remain faithful and pursue the bride until he comes again. And that's what chapter 21 is about. So kind of with that, let's just read together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he's pulling back from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's pulling from Isaiah 65 that promises, there's a foreshadowing, Isaiah 65, 17, that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is thinking back to those things through the vision that he is seeing. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. It's just beautiful. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We can believe them. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet. Omega, the last letter, is the beginning and the end. He has the first word. He will have the last word. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And again, if you're thinking about the Apostle John, you're thinking about the Gospel of John, you think about the story of the, the, the woman at the well and the conversation that Jesus had about living water. And you think about John 7 when Jesus said, I am the water. I am the living water. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's just jump down to verse 22, just to get a picture of what's coming. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we don't have to go to a place to offer sacrifices for God. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the temple. And the city had no need for sun and moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light. Can you imagine that? And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And darkness and night, they're symbols for sin. They're symbols of the enemy. There is none of that. It's gone. It's eradicated by the presence of God. They will bring into it glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. So again, it's taking us back to Genesis 1-3. through 3. The tree of life is here. It's new creation. Creation again. 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit in its month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything that is cursed. Isn't that beautiful? As the old hymn goes, he's come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Every single part of creation has been touched by the fall. That curse is going to be removed one day. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants, us, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. Again, you think about the Old Testament. No one can look on the face of God. No one can see God. Moses wanted to see God, and God said, I'll hide you in the rock. You can see my back. And he just glowed like no one can see the face of God. You think about Isaiah 6 and the vision he has of God. But one day for the people of God, we will be able to see him face to face fully forever. His name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. There will be no need for a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, again, a lot of quotes from the prophets throughout the book of Revelation, has sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place. And behold, this is Jesus, read in your Bible, I am coming soon. He's coming again. Blessed is the one, happy is the one, joyful is the one who keeps the words, the prophecy of this book. Remain faithful, endure, be steadfast. This is the word of the Lord. This is what is coming for us who are his people this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to take the time that we have left and just unpack our big truth this morning, which we see all throughout this text we just read, which is this. Our big truth is God is making all things new. Our God is making all things new. And we may not see it, we may not feel it today, but this is what he's doing. We love new things. I I don't know about you, but I love to get new things. And uh, the problem with new things is that new things become old things really quickly, right? Uh, Some of you, and I fall in this camp, some of us, when we buy something, uh, buyer's remorse kicks in pretty quick. Anybody in the room, like some people, they just love to buy. There's no remorse that comes with it. You might be married to one of those people. Uh, for others of us, like you buy something and instantly you're, you're questioning your decision. But all the things that we purchase, we, they, they become old. They wear out. They, they go away. And we know that. We understand that. And yet, even though we know that things wear out and things go out of style, we still love new jobs, we love new relationships, we love new cars, new stuff, new haircut, whatever that is. We love those new things. And I think there's, there's several reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons for that is this. I think the human heart was hardwired for new creation. I think Scripture gives testimony to that. Romans 8 says that all of creation, it groans, it longs for the day when it will be made new again. But but here's our problem. Instead of looking to the one who is making and will make all things new, we run to counterfeits to try to fill that need in us, that desire in us for new creation. And those things, they, they let us down, they fall apart every single time. 
But this morning, brothers and sisters, friends, I just want to encourage you that 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 longing that is in your heart is not something that you created, it's something that God created in you, and the only way that that will be fully met will be one day when our faith becomes sight, when all things that are being made new are made new. Look at verse 5 of chapter 21. This is our, our, our key verse this morning. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is God's work. This is what he's doing. He's not just redeeming a people, but he is making a people new. And so what is God making new? What does this mean that God is making all things new? New. I, I just want to use our big ideas this morning to kind of paint a little picture from this passage of some of the things that God is doing and why it matters for you, why it matters for me. And then this morning we are going to celebrate, we're going to respond through taking of the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's look at our first big idea this morning. It's this, a new heaven and earth are coming. So God is making all things new. Well, what is he making new? Well, one of the things he's making new is a new heaven and a new earth. Look again at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And so when we see this, uh, this again, it's a promise that is being fulfilled from Isaiah 65, 17. This is what Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. In fact, if in your own Bible study you want to go a little bit further than this, Isaiah 65, a lot of what is in Isaiah 65 is quoted in Revelation 21. In Isaiah 65, it's this picture that God's going to redeem his people from exile, and one day he's going to make all things right. And now in Revelation, we're seeing that God is actually doing that through a new heaven and new earth. This world will not be the same when Jesus comes again. But that leads us to ask a question. Why is the world going to be different? Why a new heaven? Why a new earth? Well, I think verse 2 helps us understand uh, that, the answer to that question this is what John says. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And you can't help but think of the gospel of John, John 14, when Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back again. Just like a, a, a groom would go away and prepare a place for his bride and come back. This is what's happening here. And what makes new creation such a beautiful thing is not all the things that are going to be new about it. What makes new creation, new heaven, new earth so wonderful is this. Is that God is going to be in the center of the new heavens and the new earth. God is the goal of new creation. God's presence with his people is the goal of new creation. And I think verse 2 helps us understand that because it talks about God preparing the city of Jerusalem like a bride for her husband. If you've ever been to a wedding before, there is one moment in a wedding ceremony that everybody is looking to and looking forward to. For the kids in the room, that's the cake. But for everyone else in the room, you are waiting for the moment when those doors open up and the bride enters in, right? 
Everything hinges on that moment. And at that moment, no one's looking around the room saying, oh, these are really nice decorations. You know, or I love the way that the mother of the bride's dress looks. At that moment, everyone is looking at the bride, looking at the groom, looking at the bride, looking at the groom. Like that's, that's what we do. And the glory of the new heavens and the new earth don't exist as an end to themselves. The glory of the new heavens and the new earth exists to magnify the groom and the bride coming together. They exist for God's glory. So let me just give you some realities about the new heaven and the new earth. First is this, a new heaven and earth signal a return to God's design for creation. A new heaven and new earth signal a return for God's design and creation. And if you pull up the notes online, I've given you all the passages for this because we won't have time to cover everything. You can study on your own. But as you walk through Revelation 21, you see all these pictures of Genesis 1, 1 through 3. There's a new heavens and a new earth. It talks about the sun, the moon, and the sea being no more. In Genesis 1, the sun, the moon, the sea, they are created. It talks about uh, the curse being lifted. In Genesis 3, the curse is being put on that world. And you can just go through these things, the light and the day and the night. And all these things, they're being remade. Creation is being remade the way that God intended it to be. It's a return to God's design. Why? Let's lead us to our second reality, and this might be the most important part of the message this morning. The wonder, beauty, and joy of the new heaven and earth is God's presence. I just want to say that again. The wonder, beauty, the joy of new creation. It's not that there's not any sickness or pain. Those are good things. It's not that we get a glorified body. It's, it's not that we get to see our loved ones. Those are all good things. But the wonder, the joy, the beauty of new creation is God's presence. Full with His people. Unending with his people. That's what creation was meant to be. That's what Genesis is. God creates the world and he has perfect relationship with Adam and Eve. His presence fills the garden. That's what was lost in the fall. That's what's being redeemed by the Son. And this is what we get to look forward to is one day fully we get to be with God. God is the goal of heaven. God is the goal of eternity. God is what your heart and my heart long for and are made for. Look at verse 3 so beautiful and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place or the tabernacle exact same word in John 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us he he tabernacled among us he set up his residence among us God behold the dwelling place of God is with man all throughout the story, God and man cannot be together because of sin. And even on this side of the cross, we have the Spirit of God living in us, but we are not in perfect communion with God. But friends, one day we get to be with God fully. That's what you were created for. That's what I was created for. That's the hole in your heart. That's the hole in my heart. The emptiness and brokenness in us is the longing to be in the presence of God. They will be his people, verse 3, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is what you were made for. This is what I was made for. 
This is where joy is found. Not in getting God's stuff. Not in getting a good life. Not in pain going away. No, we were made for the presence of God. And one day, we will get to fully be in the presence of God. Amen? And the reason new creation is so good and so wonderful is because God is fully there, and we get to be fully with Him. Let's talk about a third reality. The effects of sin are reversed in the presence of God. Look at verse 4 with me. This is such a beautiful verse. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Just think about how beautiful it is. Death shall be no more. Tears shall be no more. Sickness will be no more. Pain will be no more. Why? Because those things cannot exist in God's full presence. Again, think about the ministry of Jesus. Think about the Gospel of John. Jesus goes into towns, into cities, and people who have pain, their pain is taken away. People who've died are raised to life. People who are mourning, they are comforted. When Jesus comes into the room, people are healed because God's presence is in the room. Well, in new creation, God's presence dwells fully with his people and sin and pain and death and sickness cannot be in the presence of God fully. Eradicates it away. His very presence destroys those things. The effects of sin. Fourthly, the gospel, or sorry, the glory of God is the centerpiece of the new creation the center place. Verse 6 and 7, and he said, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. Chapter 22, verse 3, no longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. 21 verse 23, for the glory of God is its light. The glory of God, the presence of God is the centerpiece of creation. Friends, I just want you to look at me for just a moment. Your heart, your soul, who you are was created to know and be with God. He is what you were made for. He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart. He is the only one who can bring your life into what you were created to be. There's no one and there's nothing on this earth that can fulfill that void, that emptiness, that need in you. You were made for God. And the calling of a Jesus follower is to pursue him, pursue his presence here, but one day that will be fully realized. And that hope changes the way that we live. There's a new heavens and a new earth that's coming where God's presence is in the center of it. But not only is God's presence in the center of the new heavens and the new earth, but God's presence is going to be among his people. It's the second big idea. There's a people made new from every tribe, tongue, and nation that is coming. A people made new from every tribe, tongue, and nation that is 
coming. And Pastor Jeremy spent time talking about this last week, so I'm not going to spend much time here. But I do want to just note two things very quickly. First, that God is redeeming a people. He's redeeming a people, not just individual persons for His possession. When you look at verse 3 and verse 4 of chapter 21, it says that God will be their God and they will be His people. God loves you and God died on the cross for you, but not just for you. He's not just redeeming individuals. He's redeeming a family, a people. And this is why we gather as a church. This is why we do all the things we do as a church is because you need the family of God. And the family of God needs you. And your life will not make sense outside the family of God. You need community. You need brothers and sisters around you, encouraging, spurring you, helping you, shaping you. They need you. We need one another. But not only is this family happening, he says that we are going to be sons of God, but this is a diverse family. If you look at the end of chapter 21, verse 24, he says, By its light the nations will walk. The kings of the earth will bring glory into it. Earlier in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, 9 and 10, it says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you've ransomed a people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you've made them a kingdom of priests to our gods. They will reign on the earth. And we talked about kingdom of priests last week. And this kingdom of priests is going to be made up of many, many, all nations, all people groups. God is redeeming a multi-ethnic family to display His glorious grace. This is why these flags are all across this building. This is why we talk about give to go. This is why this week we gather to celebrate what God's doing all across the world and what our church gets to be a part of this Wednesday night. This is why we pray for the lost. We want to be a people who goes to the peoples of the world to help see this reality come about. God is making a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship Him to live in His presence. And the reason why we send missionaries out, and the reason why we try to give generously, and the reason why we want to plant churches around the world among unreached people groups is because worship in God's presence does not exist among them. And they don't know to worship Him. And we want to be a church who goes to people who have no clue of what the gospel is and to tell them the good news that God's presence is what they were created for. That God's presence is coming. It's a third idea, thinking about the new creation. That God is making all things new. It's this new worship that is holy and undivided is coming. New worship that's holy and undivided is coming. Look at uh, verses... 27 of chapter 21. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean, a pure, holy worship is coming. Chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. Think about these words. No longer will there be anything that is cursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We are coming and heading for a day as God's people when our worship will be holy and undivided. That's good news. 
but not only holy and undivided, but we will be fully satisfied in God. All who are spiritually thirsty will drink and be fully satisfied in God. I I just want you to read these words in verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So speak a moment in this room. If you're here and you're a Christian, do you feel the longing inside of you to be able to worship God fully and completely without a distracted heart? I don't know about you, there are days, I want it to be constant, where I, I desire to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength, and I can't. And that discourages and frustrates me. Any, anyone else feel that tension? That longing inside of you to be able to worship God without your heart splitting and heading all kinds of different directions, focused on different things, but to be fully focused on God. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you this morning. There's a day coming when your heart will be able to fully, undividedly worship your Savior. You will be able to drink and be, these are the key words, fully satisfied, completely satisfied. You're not going to want another Savior. You're not going to want a false idol. You're not going to chase that temptation that's been bothering you all your life. It's going to be gone because God's presence is everything. And we long for that day, and we pray for that day, and we look forward to that day. And speak to this room, if you're not a believer, you're not a Jesus follower, you're here, you're trying to figure things out, you're processing all of this stuff, friend, there is a thirst inside your heart that only Jesus can satisfy. There's a well that can only bring the happiness and joy and life that you were meant to have, and it is the well of Jesus Christ. In fact, in John chapter 7, Jesus says these words. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, out of the heart of him will flow rivers of living water. Friends, the only one who can satisfy your thirst this morning is Jesus Christ. Your heart was made for him. And the new heavens, the new earth, new creation exists. It's coming one day. God is making all things new so that we will be able to be fully in His presence forever, worship Him completely and undivided. And that's going to be beautiful. So how do we respond to that? This is our last big idea. Our response is to live today in light of the day when Jesus returns. If you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, your response, thinking about that day, is to respond today in faith in Jesus Christ. To turn to the well that does not run dry. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer, your response, brother and sister, my response this morning is to say, I'm going to set my life, set my mind, set my heart on the day when Jesus returns, I'm going to shape my life, my family, my job, my money, my resources around living for a different king in a different kingdom. I just want to close by reading a quote from C.S. Lewis. 
continue looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next world. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Our prayer is that we would be a people whose hearts and minds not are aimed at getting out of here, but are aimed at living for another kingdom, a new creation. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we come to you this morning, I pray that we would be a people who long for your presence, who live for your presence, that you would help us live today in light of the day that you're going to come again. And I just pray for all my friends this morning that you would be the fountain of living water, that you would be the satisfaction of their hearts. And even as we respond by remembering your death in our place, that you would give us hope of the presence and the new creation that is to come. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.